Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Chip Frederick will join me. We'll talk Vanderbilt baseball today. The news today is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, please call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Vanderbilt has advanced to the College World Series final, or at least partially was advanced to the College World Series final. In a bizarre sequence of events, the Commodores won a game against a shorthanded North Carolina State team by a 3-1 score on Friday. And then Saturday morning, 1-10 in the morning while the team was asleep, it learned that NC State had to forfeit because of a COVID-19 issue. So the Commodores now will play Mississippi State in a best-of-three series for the national title. First game, 6 o'clock on Monday. You can see that on ESPN. That will be the topic of today's show. Chip Frederick joins me from Omaha, I believe. Am I correct on that? No, not not out there yet. Um, going out in the morning. Okay. Uh, going out there in the morning on a flight Monday morning. So uh, going to Kansas City and um, driving up, driving up to Omaha from there, and kind of what uh, did in 2019. It's the easiest way to get up there because. Omaha is about the hardest place to get into, get to in the country. It seems like, um, as far as connecting flights and all that, and and it looks like it's going to be one of the most expensive places to be uh, for the next three days for me, compared to my last trip, uh, Chris. It is unbelievable what's going on up there. But it's kind of a sideshow of the game. But uh, man, it is uh, the Mississippi State fans, as they as they said on the broadcast last night. Uh, you know, last one out of Starkville, turn out the lights. And I think that's going to be the case because they have absolutely crushed the secondary ticket market. And, uh, you know, it's going to be basically a home game for them, it looks like, because I wouldn't be surprised if it was a 70-30 advantage yeah, at minimum. Um, that's just, you know, and it's it's all new to them. This is, this is uh, the first time they've been sniffing this uh, national championship situation and sort of reminds me of the 2014 season with us and winning the first one and that's going to be something other than that Mississippi State's a very talented team it's going to be uh, something that uh, this team's going to have to combat with uh, basically a home field advantage for Mississippi State yeah you said 70 30 I have a feeling it might be more than that but uh, you're gonna as I understand it have to take out basically a home equity loan to (laughs) get your tickets and, and pay for your stay and come back well, it's uh, the flights were about the same. You know, I've, I've used, I got creative a little bit going through Kansas City, but I would say, and you know, this has a lot to do with the economy and what we're going through and inflation that you hear about. Um, but the room, my room, is double what it was last year. Same location. Um, the rental car is about thirty, forty percent higher. And today, I bought three tickets. Um, I paid for three tickets, um, and it, what I bought them for last year, it, it was probably two and a half, it was three times what I paid in, uh, 2019. So, uh, I think the tickets were probably, I'd say in the range of, uh, you know, you got all these fees and everything. So it ended up being like $450 a ticket um for down in the left field near the bullpen which is crazy uh, because i had tickets around home plate last year um and paid for three tickets what i paid for one here so it's probably three times it's more three times what it was and so you're seeing a lot of that and uh it is a it's one of those things that's the scalping world which is kind of another world i mean that's an underground thing and that you hear about and there's been articles written about that are great articles how that all works but this is a scalper's nightmare, I mean, a treasure. This is something that scalpers uh, love to have happen when a team you have like Mississippi State who travels, and Vanderbilt travels, but nothing like Mississippi State. And it's just, it has created, uh, it's going to be great for the Omaha uh, economy and and for uh, scalpers um, and people who, you know, the smart people are the ones who, I was telling my little boy that, the you know, the ones who bought a ticket for the College World Series are tickets, plural, and 
they paid for their tickets and then made a handsome profit by just selling them on the secondary market. And there's, you know, SeatGeek, there's Vivid Seats, there's Ticketmaster, there's StubHub, and then there's the NCAA site, which is uh, Prime Sport, which I used uh, two years ago. And I could have bought the tickets last night. And I think I saw some somebody uh, post on your board. I was in the same condition. I made a very uh, costly mistake. Uh, I should have bought the tickets last night and it would have been fine. And I was thinking that Texas was going to, all those seats were going to open up. But what happened was Mississippi State just pounced on them. And it was my mistake, cost the mistake. But that's the way that works. And uh, it's one of those just kind of perfect alignment of the stars lined up. And um, it's going to cost Vanderbilt fans a lot more to get in that game tomorrow night. Well, I mean, they, they deserve it um, because every, everything is in full-on Vanderbilt villain mode right now, right? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's unfortunate. And, and the best thing that I've seen about it was somebody countered this morning in the national press, and I forgot who it was, but they said, so if Stanford had held on to their lead against Vanderbilt and won, and then Vanderbilt would have played North Carolina State, and would people be burning Stanford T-shirts? And then, of course, people just went death, deadly silent. There was no response to that, which was a great comeback. I mean, Vanderbilt, as horrible as it was, I, I feel for North, I mean, anybody who can get athletics or played athletics or covers athletics like you do and – you feel for you feel for the Wolfpack. You feel for their coaches and their and their players. And I'm not going to go down the road as far as let's. Just, I'm no way going to get political here and what they should have done. And let's just take it as the big picture that I feel bad for them because I'm not going to go down that road. That's that you don't win there and everybody's got an opinion. But uh, you know I haven't. You watched the press conference from Vanderbilt today, but you know I got an email from the chancellor and. And, you know, basically this afternoon saying the same thing that, you know, they feel horrible for North Carolina State. They're, they're uh, contemporaries of theirs. They're professional contemporaries. They're a school they respect. I mean, he said all the right things. Uh, Tim Corbin, I read his statement. He said all the right things. There's really nothing you can do. And Vanderbilt did not have anything to do. I, I promise you, Tim Corbin did not order anything or bring it to the forefront. And that's just people who are upset. And that's Twitter, which is... Twitter's 8% of the country spewing out. Twitter is horrible these yeah, days. Yeah. yeah. So it, I, it, I, don't, I don't know why I go on, but I do every now and then. Yeah, and it's just, you know, burning Vanderbilt T-shirts with the American flag on it, the ones that they wore a couple years ago. I recognized that shirt, and I saw it. Um, did you see the video? of? With, did North Carolina State go to their stadium last night? when they arrived back uh, in Raleigh and, and had a little ceremony and someone was on a bullhorn, uh, I guess they didn't have the PA out, but I saw this is on Bleacher Report and it looked like the team was on the field. It looked like what would be the team and someone was on a, a horn, I mean, a you know, speaker, it might've been their head coach or a coach and there were people, students there. And he made a comment at the end that, well, we're just going to consider ourselves 2021 national champions. Uh, okay. I saw that. I didn't know if it was in Raleigh or in Omaha. I thought that was a little... <laughs> I mean, look, if you want to make a t-shirt and say undefeated in the College World Series, I got no problem with that, right? Because I, I didn't like a lot of things about the way that went down. I, I don't think it was... Well, it, it is what it is. I'm like you. I'm just, they're just certain topics. It's not worth discussing, but. Yeah. And, and I think that they, you know, it, it, it couldn't have happened at a worse time for the NCAA and, and everybody's just going to pick apart, you know, the fact that they released the statement at one fifteen in the morning. And why did they do that? Well, I'm sure they were meeting about it. I mean, on the other, you could say, well, they wanted to get away from the media and wanted it to be hush hush and get it while the players were asleep. But Maybe they were meeting and reviewing reviewing test results and all that. I mean, there's there's always two sides to it. But you know, I, I, burning shirts that have Vanderbilt baseball and the American flag on it is is because it's such a paradox. Because some of the people who would be arguing that would be people who would be against burning shirts with American flag on it. Uh, so it's so conf utterly confusing and. Um, you could go in any direction with it, but the bottom line is it's 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 heartbreaking for them. You hate it. You hate that they 
uh, ended their season in such a manner. And, and um, I'm sure that the chatter will go on for a while, but hopefully when baseball's played tomorrow in, in Omaha, that um, at least we can get back to some settlement as far as how we're going to decide the national championship. This just feels like and look, there's plenty of baseball to talk. And I think this team has got a ton of stuff to be proud of. And I think this team's going to win this thing. But just the last few weeks and I don't know, this just sucked. It seemed like all the remaining joy out of it almost. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it just, it, those guys are, I think you'll probably see it when this thing is over with regardless of Vanderbilt uh, wins or Mississippi state wins or what, whoever wins the whole thing, no matter both teams will be, there will be a, a, a feeling of relief from both of them uh, because I think they're exhausted. Yeah. I, 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 you said what I was going to say, Kumar rocker every time. And I'm not being critical of kid. I think he's a good kid. I think he's an incredible competitor. I tweeted this weekend. I think, if that was his last start, he is the greatest athlete in Vanderbilt history based on what he accomplished when he was in school. And, and, and people have added me with all sorts of stuff. But th- there's really no good case that he's not at this point. And, and I guess he gets a chance to either maybe uh, put an exclamation point on that or, or leave it up for more debate. I, I think it's probably settled at this point. But in any case, you know, Dominic Keegan, we got him today. He looked worn out. It just looks like these guys are just beat down. I I don't know sometimes. I, I, this is not for me to say, right? But because sometimes you get a glimpse into a dugout and you know at the wrong moment, and and certainly they look excited when they win these games, right? You, you saw the exuberance after Stanford, but on top of the pressure of being who they are and the the constant scholarship talk and the Whistler and you know, what, whatever pressure that their fans put on them, you know, now they've got this. The draft. And, and the draft, and he had all the, the COVID stuff at school where they didn't get to live a life this year. I feel badly for them because it just doesn't look to me sometimes like they're having fun. And, and look, I'm not saying they're not. I'm not there around the team all the time. I just get glimpses. The windows I get into things – I'm like, you guys should be enjoying this more than you are from just the looks that I get. And I'm not sitting in judgment. I just feel a little badly for them because it just seems like a lot of times, whatever the circumstances are, it, it just takes all the wind out of their sails. But yet they keep winning. Yeah, and, and you have to also tag on the, the, the defending national champion thing that's been brought up, which they're really not, but they technically are. And that chip they they get all the pressure right. of this without the the experience to fairly back it up, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, and and it's it's not the you know, I I made a remark to someone right after Rocker came out of the game the other night. I don't think I texted it to you, someone else. I mean Kumar Rocker looked like he had just finished the Boston Marathon. When, when he finished that outing, I, that's as tired as I've seen him and, you know, uh, throw, what was it, seven innings or so. The look on his face was, I mean, he was just spent. And, and some of those guys have the same look. And, and, um, but it's the emotional, the psychological, and the, and the physical, all three there that I did. And, and hopefully this 48 hours, the day off, I'm not saying they took the day off on Saturday, but yesterday and today with just you know it gets to a point where you know people have asked me well why don't they they need to go hit in the cage for five hours you know that's all they need to do is hit well you know you know that's great but it it gets to a point in sports where you you've done enough and if they're going to get it done they're, they're, they're not going they haven't forgotten how to hit okay these guys haven't forgotten um things that the pitchers haven't forgotten how to throw strikes and we can sit here and pick apart each one of the guy in the lineup of what they've done lately that, you know, a guy like Enrique Bradfield doesn't run off, run out of strike three, drop strike three. I mentioned that the other day, just things. It's the little things that you're seeing about this team, which has been bothersome that they have not done, which they used to do. So you don't forget them. You don't, you don't know that you don't run on third strike on a drop ball. You don't, um, 
you don't have balls that are fielded with uh, exchange between second and short that, that are overthrown. And you don't, it, the little thing, it's not like you've forgotten the game of baseball, but it, it, it almost is as if these guys need to just go into tomorrow night's game loose, knowing that they have a guy who's going to be probably the number one pick on their side, pitching and Jack Leiter, and roll the dice and go out there and have fun because any tightness that they it is going to just be a negative and anything that we're reverting back is just going to come back and haunt them. They I think tomorrow's game is a must. I don't think there's any doubt they got to win tomorrow night. And uh, that's okay. They got the number 1 draft pick probably pitching for them. They got to hit the ball as they saw that that didn't matter a couple nights ago when they didn't score. So you got to score to win. But tomorrow's game unlike 2 years ago where obviously it wasn't the most critical thing to win the game one tomorrow. You got to win, right, Chris? I mean, you got to win tomorrow night, and because based on the way things stack. Oh, I mean, yeah, you say that. I I would have thought when they went up one nothing on Virginia a couple of years ago and had a decided pitching advantage. That's what you think. Sometimes crazy stuff happens in baseball, but I mean, generally yes. But man, we we see all kinds of things happen, right? I mean, Mississippi State, frankly. I'm not going to say they're out of pitching because they're not. They, they've got they've got a lot of guys outside of Landon Sims. I don't think they have a lot of arms that you're just going. Oh my goodness! I don't want to see that guy that they're going to see. Now, if you get to game three, they've got Bedner. But if you get to game three, Vanderbilt's also probably got Rocker. Now, the thing to me is right now it doesn't matter who's out there, right? Sure. So State's a team that's got a lot of arms and. If a guy doesn't have it, you know, they pitch, what, 12, 13 guys maybe? So you just bring the next one on and and give him a shot. That is what concerns me. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, yes, it, to answer your question in a simple sense, it seems that way, but baseball is a funny game. This season of the podcast made possible by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS, if you were looking for the best cosmetic or general dentistry service in town. Go see Jody Jones today. Jody, a former Commodore football player, a big football booster. Dr. Jones serves music stars, movie stars, athletes, coaches. People know him as the best in town. His practice is like nothing you've seen before. It is really in a spa-like atmosphere. You go in and it feels like something, but it doesn't feel like a dentist's office. It's more like a spa you are relaxed. Everybody there is friendly. So service is great all the way around. Go see Dr. Jones today. Thank him for his sponsorship of this podcast. Without it, this season would not have been possible. Yeah, and 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 I think uh, we'll know real. We, we will know early if this team is is sort of taking advantage of this rest period, so to speak, mentally and, and to where they can get back to playing where they have in certain games. But it, it is obvious that for the past month, they've had some guys struggle and they're trying to find guys and and people start questioning that these guys are smart. They, they, they know that who's struggling. They know personally, you know, Enrique Bradfield knows he hadn't stolen a base in two or three weeks. He's not, he's, he, he's smart enough to know that. Uh, you know, I mean, Carter Young knows he has more errors than hits in this series. Uh, and so, you know, you, you don't have to tell these kids. They, they're, it, a lot of times people in the social media world feel like the, that they're talking in a universe that these players don't know and don't, don't realize. If anybody knows it, it's they do. So one of two things are going to happen. They're going to ride Lighter's performance tomorrow night and come out uh, swinging with a pitching advantage and know that they're going to have to support him. They've already seen it once. They've already know that they've been through the the um, horror story of knowing that they had a performance of Jack Leiter that many say is one of the best ones they've seen in Omaha. And they lost the game. So there's they've been through that. You don't have to tell them again. And um, I don't know. I, I, I'm 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 not sure what I expect. I'm I'm hoping for the best and. Seeing some of these guys come out fresh tomorrow night with a little pop, being the home team. I'm thinking they're the home team, right? Correct me. Yeah, that, that'll be right because they're the higher-seeded team. 
So, you know, and, I, and I'm not sure, Chris, what, you know, they're going to do with Isaiah. You know, he, he didn't play except the ninth inning, what they're going to do with that. If, if the, the couple days extra could get uh, Colwick, because he swung about a couple times, but has not been out there uh, more than that instance and what they're going to do with Lenny. But right now it gets to the point where you got to just go with your best nine and your best probably five or six on the pitching staff and and ride it because there's you know throwing now he said before that there's guys who hasn't who haven't pitched uh, this is when he was talking about the losers bracket and you have Schultz available and you've got uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the little and and he Fisher you know I hate to say the southern word bless his bless his heart but it, I mean, he's had two opportunities which he has not done well just on two batters he hit one and I think he walked one. But you still have the arms, and Patrick Riley is not thrown out there. You know, he even mentioned um, uh, Corbin mentioned that uh, Berkwich Berkwich yeah. is not pitched. So you hope it doesn't get to that because if it gets to that tomorrow night, it's a heap of trouble. You want to save those guys for game two and three, and it couldn't have worked out. And, and, and you know the worst thing about the whole gnashing of teeth that people have been doing about Vanderbilt that you know this was the fix and that Vanderbilt shouldn't be able to pitch lighter and look, they get to rest this, but you know, lighter was going to pitch anyway, Chris, tomorrow night, he was going to be the starting pitcher on Monday, regardless if they made if they made it or won the game on the field. So that, that doesn't have that, that falls on deaf ears. So um, I'm just, I'm anxious to see how it goes. And I think we'll know real quick uh, one way or another, if this team can respond. I want to do one more thing before we get into some lineup stuff and then into some pitching. How do you think Corbin will play this psychologically? Do you think he's going to seize on the everybody hates us right now angle that is kind of <laughs> running prevalent in the public narrative? I've thought about that. Um, kind of being the Duke of basketball, you know, baseball or, or the Alabama yeah. you know, version. Some people have said that. And uh, when you're good, that happens. Um, I know that um, from someone very close to the program that Tim um, was very uh, upset with the way he was treated by the North Carolina State fans uh, during the game. There was a lot of, uh, lot of talk directed at him that was pretty ugly. Um, and is was unusual because I think for the most part you have a lot of coach fan bases in the SEC who would love to have him as their coach. I mean Mississippi State there was grumblings about that a few years ago. Uh, you, I think LSU we probably know that if, if there was a choice all their fan base that you know you you mentioned to me or I think you said yeah you were down in Hoover when you said it was like a receiving line at a wedding uh, of fans wanting to, to to just sit there from other fan bases wanting to talk to him. So, you know, I, I think there's a – he's not Darth Vader. You know, he's not some guy who just everybody wants to hate in this program. You know, you get the Whistler and all that background noise that happens. And when you win and, and you've got, you know, maybe smart kids and, and advantages that people think that Vanderbilt have and scholarships, that's going to, that's going to be amplified. But I, I was thinking about that just this morning. I would think he would probably, if I had to guess, would kind of turn it into us against the world because it is going to be an imbalance in the crowd. You could have even the locals in Omaha probably wanting to have another champion um, just to have cheer for somebody, if you think about it. I don't know if you've thought about that, but just the local yokels being like, let's cheer for Mississippi State um, and adopt them if we have to pick a team. So... It, it, I think there's a little bit of that strategy that I would, he's going to warn them probably, I guarantee you, that, that this isn't going to be a, a welcoming environment. And we, we've been here, though, and we, we know what it's like. But I, I would say if it would err towards one or the other, yes, uh, and use that to your advantage and, and um, definitely uh, play to that and be prepared for it. I know they will be prepared for it because uh, Tim Corbin teams are always done that. But I think, he was, I think he's been taken aback a little bit by – um, the reaction nationally, just from where I can read um, his quotes and see his facial expressions and post-game interviews, um, I, I think that this this instance really kind of took him aback, uh, based on what people said. And and he's a big boy now; he he can take care of himself. And I'm sure there have been some things said 
about him and to him and to his team. But he is also he's also very calculated and knows how to use that. And and I wouldn't be surprised if if I know I would if I were coaching this team to use it to our advantage. Okay, I want to talk about the lineup and what they might do. And I'm going to throw a little bullet point at something I'm watching here. I want to see if Tate Colwick is in the lineup tomorrow night. And I'm going to try to pull this up because I'm going to tell you why. He's one of their better hitters against lefties. Uh, He's gotten, what, one or two key pinch hits at this point of of the series. I mean, look, nobody's hitting really well for them. Uh, But Tate's done a couple things. Tate is one of those guys that you always get the feeling that you you hear Tim use the phrase right heartbeat a lot. He strikes me as a guy who Tim thinks has the right heartbeat for this situation. State's going to throw Christian McLeod. And look, I don't know what sample size of at-bats this is, but against lefties, he's hit 345. That leads the team. His on-base against lefties is 441. I think that's second behind Keegan's 500. Goodness, Keegan's got a 400, 500, 820 slash line against lefties. Uh, a lot of zeros there, so I don't know how many at-bats that's in. I want to say it's – I'd have to go look it up. But in any case, um, point I'm making, this is a lineup that struggled to hit, and you're looking for things, and, and Tate has played outfield before. I don't think you're going to see Tate um, starting at second. Well, you could. You could see you could see him at second, and you could potentially see Noland maybe as your DH. Although, actually – Having said that, Spencer Jones has actually got decent splits against lefties, even though he's a lefty. Again, small sample size. I'm starting to ramble a little bit, but but the point I'm getting at is I'm really interested to see if Tate Colwick is in that lineup tomorrow night against lefty Christian McLeod. Yeah, I would say those would would be the two. uh, Well, there'd be two. There would be, for me, there would be that, and there would be actually three. There would be whether Colwick would be in the lineup, whether who's going to play right tomorrow night, if it's going to be Leneve or Thomas. Uh, and then the other thing would be, you know, you saw Vaz go up to the one, two, three, four, five hole where he was in the eight or nine hole previously. And you wonder if there could be a switch with Vaz and Young, perhaps. Some people have been talking about maybe having a Bradfield Vaz back to back instead of Bradfield. Uh, young. So those would be the three that would be, I, I think, would be logical. I guess Bolger has just disappeared. I, 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 when's the last time Bolger got an at-bat? Um, it's been a while. I, I want to yeah. say he's maybe gotten one in Omaha. I'm not sure that's right. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. But, you know, I think it's just a question again, right? Who plays right? Who play if if Colwick gets in and what do they do with the DH and then third would be Vaz uh, if he moves up anymore I was glad to see that he did but Vaz has just been he's a competitor he's an I, I I kept thinking for a while that Vaz was just a sophomore but he's he played I guess two years of JUCO and then came so he's he's technically with all the COVID stuff he's, I guess junior I guess eligibility wise but um and then does he get another year I don't know how that works but. That guy has been consistent, and he's got a, a little bit of juice that they need. Um, and and you know, looking at the, the the North Carolina State box, you know, they didn't strike. They struck out six times, which is nothing compared to what they have done. Um, and they just, it was just the way that that didn't barrel up anything. And and when you know, Corbin mentioned when that. When you're playing someone who's uh, significantly outmanned that doesn't have their right uh, lineup in there and they only got 13 players and you know that, sometimes the further along that game goes along and that's what happened, that um, you know you, you get a little tighter and you start pressing. Oh, it, Chip, it got in their heads. The later yeah. that went on, the looser NC State got, the more it got in Vanderbilt's heads because they weren't supposed to win and they were facing elimination. Right, right. So, but I, I, I digress too much. But I, I, again, your question was about the lineup, and those are the ones that I see being the the main things. I don't know if you have anything else. I don't know if you really could do anything. I, mean, I think Gonzalez has has uh, been okay at third base and 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 playing well. Um, he did strike out two times the other night, but 
two of the six that they had, but I don't really see any other changes um, to me. Um, it's nice to see CJ Rodriguez bounce back. I, as I said, the previous podcast, I don't think he had the best game two games ago, but he follows that up with picking a guy off second base, which was a cannon. Um, and so uh, he should be fresh. He's, he's a guy that you want to get the 48 hours of rest for him. I'm not getting pounded. Um, that'll be, it'll be interesting. So I, I, you know, one other thing about this lineup and I'll just, when I thought of CJ Rodriguez, it will be very interesting to see almost like in the hockey season when they have the end of the year press conference, you will see when the coach sits there and goes, okay, well, this player had a broken collarbone. We never did say anything about it. This guy, you know, tore his hamstring, but we taped him up every game. It's that report that they don't disclose. And you just wonder if, if, if a couple guys on this team looking on talking about the lineup, we've had a bunch of people banged up, but who else has been banged up? Has CJ Rodriguez been dealing with something you know, they're not going to say anything now, but it, it will be, I'm curious to see of these guys of the 12, 13 that get in and out, who also has been banged up as well. Yeah, I have a feeling they've been sitting on some things, can't prove it, but they don't like to talk about who's heard and who's not. I mean, sometimes he will come out and say, like he said with Thomas, he's got a hand issue and he, he said it with Colwick, but he also is pretty coy about it. He'll make it sound sometimes like, the guy might be back tomorrow, and the reality might be we might not see him for, for two or three weeks. So there's that. I think it's – well, you see how he's been. You, you know, they took away his DH thing um, where he can't – he's got to name his DH before the game. They used to, yeah. to hold that out, and I don't know why more people didn't do it. But anyway, but I wanted to get back to something. I would have – I was thinking about writing a piece before the tournament. I didn't have time. And I was going to pick as the key player for Omaha, I was going to pick Dominic Keegan. And, of course, Keegan has had some big moments. I know that he struggled at times like everybody else. But back to that thing against lefties, he's had 50 at-bats. He's hitting 400, 500 on base, and 820 slugging. So it's not like it's you know, 10, 20 at-bats. That's a bigger sample size. And I could see him being a, a big guy for them. I know he strikes out a lot. But, man, he also gets a lot of big hits. Doubles, home runs, and... Sometimes it's all you need is one guy like that. He or Thomas are two kids who are capable of carrying them through games like this. And I wonder if he's not the pick to click for Monday. Yeah, and and you you got to admire the fact that he was the guy who responded after the uh, conversation of the dugout that happened two games ago. And so you, you like to see competitors like that. I, I would say, yeah, yeah. I, I just I think you got to get Bradfield moving. Unless again, there's some injury that we don't know about. If he's if he's tweaked a hamstring or whatever, but just being the nation's number one stolen base uh, leader and haven't he hadn't stolen a base in Omaha and he didn't steal one in Nashville in the Super against East Carolina, that still bugs me a little bit. I mean, I thought I played with the guy who who whose record he was supposed to break this year in a normal circumstances. I've talked about it, Bob Shades who has 56 and and played with us and who could fly. And he was a guy who just had tremendous speed. And I used to joke that I was going to send Bob a, a message on social media and just say, Bob, this thing, you're getting ready to get, you know, get the champagne out. Um, well, whatever they do when they, I guess they get the champagne out when they don't like the Miami Dolphins and the undefeated team. But it, I thought for sure that he would have it in normal situations where he was a striking distance of Bob Chavis at 56, he would have done that already. So you just wonder, I, I, mine would be Bradfield and Keegan. I would add Keegan, I would add Bradfield to Keegan as far as the picks. You got to have those guys going. And then it, it would be nice, sure, nice to see Isaiah Thomas, who seems to be hot and cold, one or the other. There's no in between if, if they can get him to uh, do some things offensively, which he has the ability to. To do so, uh, that would be tremendous as well. Yeah, I was really surprised to see him take Thomas out like that. And they put Leneve in right. But, you know, Leneve's also a, a lefty that, that got them another lefty bat in there. And I don't know. I really am having a hard time figuring out what lineup he's going to go with on Monday night. I think I would shake it up other than maybe Bradfield at the top a little bit. I still say hit Bradfield and Vaz 1-2. I just think that changes the dynamic of things. Uh, you need to get something going, so why not, right? Yeah, that would be different. That would be, and, and don't 
think that, uh, you know, these last two games that he has, last two practice days that he's had, that if somebody's tagging the ball and doing some things in BP that he likes to see, uh, it wouldn't be surprising to stir up uh, someone we, not that we haven't seen, but, uh, you know, there's basically 12 guys to pick nine spots from uh, in the lineup, and that's what they're going to go for. But uh, I would not be, I wouldn't take anything off the table as far as when you're trying to win two games, it's the it's the race to two games. Whoever can get there, and however you need to do the lineup to do so, you're going to do it. And that goes for pitching too. Let's talk pitching. I think one of the I don't know. This guy's got a dark horse case, depending on how this finishes out. But Luke Murphy has got a chance to end up being MVP of this thing. Yeah, he he has done really well. Um, I was, uh, I think he got winded. He threw fifty four pitches against North Carolina State, and man, he throws across his body. And I didn't realize. I mean, I've, I've known that, but I'm just sitting there going crazy. And they even mentioned it on the television broadcast thirty seconds after I did. But when he throws balls, he you tend to want to just blame it on how he does step almost towards third base, and it doesn't even look natural. Um, but when he was struggling, he couldn't get the, you know, when he struggles, he struggles. I mean, I think Luke is, there's, he's poised and some former teammates and I talking, I mean, he's poised to be a big league stopper. Um, not, not, you know, not, um, professional baseball stopper, big league, major league stopper. If he can put it all together one day, not talking anytime soon, but if they can, you know, maybe get some things mechanically, uh, but he, yeah, he has a chance, and if he can put in two performances in this thing, or in two out of three games, uh, how we do it. But when he throws, his ball gets up on you really, really quick, more than anybody on this staff. Not sure if it's just the spin rate or the fact that he's a big kid and he's his when he steps to the plate, he's closer than most. But his fastball, I've always said, is much more dramatic than even rocker. I mean, it's close with lighter. Those two are pretty close, but I've seen some games when the flames go up on the scoreboard in the right-hand corner, when that gun goes off, they've got the setting where it's made the fire comes up when it's 99, 98 consistently. And with a couple days rest here too, it'll be nice to see him, uh, what he can do. But yeah, he's, he's been, he's been around when they needed him. It just worried me a little bit when he, when he misses, he seems to miss badly. And then he tends to, I think uh, Ben McDonald made it. He's fifty percent. He's he was two balls, then he'd throw a strike, and he'd throw another two balls. It's it, it, it was not very consistent there the last game, but he certainly had a nice little uh, College World Series appearance uh, going on here. Well, it gets a little dramatic at times, but he's been what in two straight games now where he makes one bad pitch and their season's over. Sure. And he came through. He didn't have his best stuff in terms of his command. I mean, we've seen him go out there when. He just makes your jaw drop. He's just been really, really lights out instead of otherworldly. But my, my point is to see a guy go out there and pitch the way he has under that workload and get the results he's gotten, that that guy deserves his due. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at his, I mean, his innings numbers have gotten up there, uh, 39 and two-thirds, and he's hit seven batters, struck out 60, and walked 15. So, the numbers tell a story that's just a little different. I think he makes it uh, a little harder for himself than he needs to be, if that makes sense, sometimes by not throwing strikes and not getting ahead in the count and not throwing first pitch strikes. He seems like he gets a lot of 3-0 counts uh, too often. Um, and, you know, when you, when you look at, I mean, Hugh Fisher, he – being they need him to have a good championship series they need for him to be able to come in and throw strikes and get a left-handed hitter out and um that just hasn't been happening and and for whatever reason he's only thrown 11 innings it's it's been you know when he's in there he's in there for a bat or two and that's it but he's got if he can get it all together it's a whole nother topic but if he if that guy can get it all together he's got the frame and he's got the the, the fastball and the spin rate to, to be really, really good. And, uh, but he just hasn't, hadn't been able to get, it's been frustrating for him, I know, hadn't been able to get people out like uh, they're counting on him to do so. All right, let's talk pitching plan. Everybody's presuming they're going to go lighter. 
on Monday, which I think is the right call. There's been some talk of holding him out. But no, once you do that, you may have to go to a bullpen day on Monday. I mean, you, you might get four or five good innings, maybe six great innings out of Riley, or you might get an inning in the third, at which point you're going Maldonado, McIlvain, Murphy in some order, probably McIlvain, Maldonado in that order, and Murphy at the end if it's close. Point being, you need those arms for other days. I just think you you kind of have to pitch lighter. He's got a and heck, he's got a week's rest. He last pitched on Monday, so to me that's an easy call. Yeah, it's his turn, and and that's what and you you're going um, for the first time. It's almost treating it like a three game series, and and for the first time, um, Jack Leiter has a chance to be the number one guy, the, the the guy to step out there in the first game. So absolutely, um, game two is where it gets interesting because. You could go mid-relief in game one with whoever you're not going to start in game two, whether that would be, you know, you got, you you know, Riley is not pitched and you've got that scenario, little, whether it would be one of those two guys for game two, but I think you could throw whoever's not going to start your, on your plan, you could throw them in relief as well. The perfect scenario is to get lighter, throw seven innings and then get your main guys to come out of the pen and, and, and stop it right there and, and get a victory. Um, anything with Rocker, anybody thinking that Rocker is going to be able to throw 100 pitches on Wednesday if it gets there is crazy. I, mean, I think both those, both the, the, these teams, number one guys are going to be limited on Wednesday. Uh, I don't see Kumar Rocker, if, if it gets to that, being able to throw more than three four innings. I just don't think with the draft coming up. I know you're trying to win a national title, but seeing how he was exasperated after that game, and I know it was hot, and someone mentioned that to me, but it just he looked fatigued. Uh, but he was he was good enough to get those guys down. But you know he did have some guys, some pitchers getting some hits off of him, and uh, leave by leaving the ball off, which was a funny story in itself. But I, I don't think either one of the, the stud guy, the number one normal guys, if it gets to Wednesday, I think they're going to be both very limited. So there's going to have to be some guys to step up. So let's go game two. My inclination has been throw Riley, but it's been a while. Little, I can make a case for and against him based on what we saw last week. Case four would be, I thought his stuff was pretty good. He ran into some horrible luck. His teammates didn't help him. Now, the case against was he didn't handle that well at all. Um, I, I don't know if you if you say, hey, just, just a bad day, try it again. The stuff's been there for a while. And throw him out there on a short lease. You know, the other thing is Riley has come out of the bullpen at times. So maybe he's a kid that if you are going to consider those two for the starting role and think that there's a pretty good degree of possibility that it's going to be three, four, maybe five innings and it might be a struggle at a time as we've seen that with both guys. I guess if you're going to consider those guys for start, is your best one to go little because Riley's pitched out of the pen? What do you think? Yeah, and you fact the fact that Little's been out there before on that mound, and he, uh, with the exception of some fielding blunders in the first inning, pitched pretty well. So, if I had to just throw a guess out there, I would say Little um, of the two. It's not saying it would be my preference, but you got to remember Riley didn't make it out of the first inning against Mississippi State. He threw a third of an inning, and he had, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, he had two outings this year where he didn't make it out of the first. Or was it just one? I know he I know he at least had one where he didn't against Mississippi State where he threw a third and he had one or two where he almost didn't get out of the first inning. I mean he was against um in in the what game I'm trying to remember what game it was, is either in the regional or I think it was the regional. I mean there was a a, a, a sense of angst there where he had some trouble after getting one or two outs where he struggled with four, five, six batters. And, it, and some pitchers tend to do that. You get him out of the first, and it makes all the difference. So just part of me just says for some reason I think he'd be little. But, of course, a lot has to do with what happens on Monday night, I think, because it's a domino effect. If, if it gets out of hand Monday, not in our favor, and somebody else has to go, that's one thing. If not, and you get seven, eight innings out of lighter after a week's rest, and you can save some people, then that might change my answer. Okay, I pulled up 
Patrick Riley's game log. The Mississippi State start, he went a third of an inning, allowed three runs, gave up four walks. That's a team that walks a lot and doesn't strike out a lot, so maybe not a good matchup. Then he went to Florida the next week, pitched three innings. I don't think gave up a run, struck out five. Then Alabama was a start that he was dominant. Uh, gives up two hits, two walks, seven innings, nine strikeouts, two runs. The old Miss start, he was not very good on that Sunday game when nobody pitched well. Then he came back against Kentucky at home, had that really terrible first four or five batters, and then he got in a groove and pitched pretty well. And then against Georgia Tech, he just didn't have it either. So really, you know, it, it's been, man, a month and a half since he's been consistent. Uh, yeah, for those reasons, telling me, I think it would, I just have a hunch it'd be little, and you can use Riley um, as a kind of a mid, mid relief guy if needed, even maybe per, behind little if you needed to, and, and just combo those guys. Um, that would be a scenario that they could use as well. So, uh, plus you've got the situation you can't play for the third game. You can pitch everybody. You can go, if, if you got to a third game, you could go rocker and then just use anybody left available an inning or a batter or whatever you needed to. Because at that point, it gets to where you're just trying to get to the ninth inning. You're trying to get 27 outs, and however you're going to do it, you do it. Okay, one last question that I've got to run. I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you. Let's say that you win game one, and it takes you 14 innings. <laughs> and, and you pitched Maldonado and Murphy and McIlvain a lot in that situation. Let's say you got a 6-3 lead heading into the seventh, and you got a one nothing lead. Do you throw Rocker and just try to get it done right then and there? I know yeah. he's not pitched out of the bullpen uh, in a couple of years, but that, that thought has run through my head. What game are you talking about? I'm talking about a potential game, too, where they have gassed their bullpen and have oh. a chance to, to put a foot on the neck and end it there. Do you consider him out of the bullpen as an option? No. <laughs> that was pretty definitive, Chip. No, I just – I don't think they do that. I think that um, you're putting a lot of your eggs in, a ba in, your, in the basket of trying to, trying to just say to your team that if we don't win this game, then it's all over no matter what. And I just think you come back with Rocker in game three. I, I, it's going to be taxing enough for him physically to come back if there is a game three to begin with. And I just don't see um, Tim doing that. Um, I'm not going to bring up any nightmares of what happened 12, 13 years ago with David Price. Different scenario. But I just think uh, – I just don't see that happening. I don't. I, I can see what you – I see your point. And, I, and I'm, um, if we're talking about an out or two uh, or three, but if it's – if that's what you were saying, maybe you were saying to get three outs. But um, – Anything other than that, anything extended, I, I just I wouldn't see it happening. Yeah, I was I was saying more like three innings, but three outs would be an acceptable answer too. I'm just trying to get a read on on where you might could see him used. I, look, I think if you need three outs and your guys are a little bit tired, uh, I, I think you consider going to him if you if you've got a lead there. So. Um, Anyway, uh, Chip, I've got to run. Let's wrap up with any thoughts that are pertinent uh, to the series ahead that we didn't get to. I'll, I'll throw it to you. No, I, I, I think that it's, um, it is going to be, you made a great point about the us against the world mentality, and I think that's, it's going to be quite evident when you get into town for those going to Omaha, if they're not there already, that it's, uh, there's going to be a surging um, sort of uh, feeling that Mississippi State's going to be the favorite as the, the the darling favorite of the fans, not the favorite. And I even looked, I haven't looked at betting lines or what they look like right now. Have you? Have you Vanderbilt's seen? a heavy favorite both Monday night and to win the series. In interesting. Okay. Well, they're just going to have to fight through that whole uh, deal because everyone, you know, people in Omaha, there's people out there who collect hats and they meet players from other teams and they get T-shirts of the teams that are there. And, you know, so you've got that fact of it. Of, of uh, And I, I would say probably they've got a lot. I mentioned that word a few, uh, 15, 20 minutes ago about juice. I mean, they've got a lot of juice on their team. They're very confident. They're a bunch of guys who, you know, that Southern Mississippi, a lot of Mississippi guys, Southern guys, 
they get excited when they do things on the base path. They're kind of uh, have that tag of being a team that is a team of destiny. And you got to remember, this is a team that was two and Q and Hoover. They were gone. And they had that look of a team like, is this team going to be going to win their region? Uh, but they went from there and they had a great regional and super regional against Notre Dame and took care of things. And we've said all along, I uh, said it three, two weeks ago when this thing started, when we looked at the brackets, that they were a team, I think, that was, I mean, Tim Corbin said they were an Omaha team. He also said that UT was an Omaha team when they played them. And Tim said that when they played here in Nashville, that they were an Omaha team. They had the feel of an Omaha team. So it does not surprise me they came out of that bracket. And I, I, I said, you know, if there was anybody that I didn't want to face, it was my boys last night. I was like, they were like, hey, we want to win. I said, it's Texas. Not only because it didn't break our bank account with, with the tickets, but uh, the fact that all Mississippi State fans are plunging the market. But I just think that they just have a little bit of juice about them that, that is have a little team of destiny type thing that um, the Vanderbilt team's going to have to fight through and, and uh, really take a hold of. If they don't, then it's going to be a tough series. But um, it's one that I'm looking forward to being there with my boys and, and uh, being in the seats, albeit they won't be in the same seats last year. They'll be far down the left field line. But looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll talk from out there and, and with, with some opinions about what's happening. But um, I will talk to you soon, and good luck. Uh, the Commodores will be rooting for them in Omaha. Chip, thanks a bunch. We'll have a wrap-up podcast uh, after the season at, at a minimum, and who knows, maybe we'll do one or two of these yeah, we'll in between talk. the series. So. Yeah, we'll talk and see how things go, and and, uh, and in between eating at uh, various places. You know, my, my, we're creatures of habit now. If somebody told me the other day, they, they said, you're such a baseball guy. And I said, well, of course. And I said, the reason why is because I'm eating at the same restaurant that we ate at two years ago, and we're staying at the same hotel. And we're flying into Kansas City, and we're gonna probably eat every. Well, it's just that's the way baseball players. I probably wear the same shirt, so we're gonna do all we can to bring it home. Hey, thanks a bunch, Chip. All right, Chris, take care. All right, he's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vane Sports Podcast.